Just so you know, on the very last verse of the song, I am supposed to put my mic over my ear, but I was kind of into that song, and I forgot. While you're turning to 1 Thessalonians 5, I want to say that I got to attend an event last night, an awesome event. A lot of you know that was happening. Some of you were there with me. Rolling Ridge, uh, that's uh, Mark and Catherine's ministry out there. It's an awesome ministry. And... Um, you know, they, they had a live band, which was awesome. They had food. They served you food and dessert. <coughs> Excuse me. It was awesome. Of course, the silent live auction, you know, that's always great. But what was really neat about last night is Catherine brought um, some of her children up that attend weekly this ministry, riding horses, you know. And, uh, and Catherine can explain the science behind the correction of your body and the horses and all that it does. She loves, she loves their, she likes horses, by the way. And um, what's neat about it is she brought the kids and the parents up, and you got to hear the, just the testimony of what, what's happening to these children. And I will tell you, it's a bit of a tearjerker to sit through that. Um, but while I was listening to each parent talk about how it's affecting their child, I couldn't think about how, uh, stop thinking about how great our God is. And no matter what ministry, whether it's missions overseas or uh, right here in our backyard, how great God is and how He works. So next year, if you're able, please, this is an annual event they have, this fundraiser, try to come out. It is a lot of fun, and I'm telling you, you will be moved. It, it was a terrific event. Thank you guys for that. Um, if you're in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're, we're about to wrap this first letter up, and today's title is like a thief. We're going to talk about thieves and thieveries and things like that. But let's look at our text. We're reading 11 verses. I just want to look at the first three right now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And yes, this is really working. This whole microphone thing is working so much better. Thank you. So, Let's talk about this for a second. The times and seasons that are being spoken of here is about the end times, uh, what we just discussed last week, what we just discussed in the end of chapter 4 there, um, that grace and, great and awesome event of Christ's return in the rapture. Now, no one knows the season or even the time within this unknown season of Christ's return. Again, I know people try to predict and figure that out, and I told you my rule, turn and run when someone brings up a date or a time. Run as fast as you can. You know, what's interesting is the disciples actually asked Jesus a very similar question before he ascended. They wanted to know when his kingdom would be fully established. And in Acts 1-7, he says this. He, says, uh, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And you know, I kept thinking about this verse. That's God's business. That's not our business. He has other business for us to attend. That is God's business. But even the disciples asked. This church, though, did not need to have anything written to them. Paul is saying, uh, saying this in the text because Paul states that they themselves already know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
just like a thief in the night. They are fully aware of this, he says. So what is the day of the Lord? Well, let me give it to you. This signifies a span of time that, well, in which God intervenes in his history, in his world. It's God's intervention. Um, It could refer to a 24-hour day. It could refer to a certain time period. It could refer to an instantaneous event. Whether it be direct or indirect, this particular intervention is God accomplishing some part of his overall master plan, his plan. Now, the day of the Lord is seen in both the Old Testament and the New Testament refers to events that will take place. Yes, some of them have already taken place, but at the time of the prophecy, they had not. Um, And again, in the text, we are speaking of end times events. And some examples, so you understand some of the elements of when I talk about the day of the Lord and these events, I'm talking about, uh, first, Christ's return. We know that. Um, The deliverance of His people, our salvation, the judgment of His enemies, establishing His his reign, the outpouring of His wrath. These are elements to what we would call or say to be a part of of the day of the Lord. <clears throat> For instance, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 30, chapter th- uh, verse 3 says this, For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Now, Ezekiel here, he is prophesying that God would bring judgment upon Egypt. And in this judgment, he was going to use a man named Nebuchadnezzar. That is the king of Babylon. And it says, day of clouds. Folks, what we're talking about here is darkness and doom. This was judgment and destruction. That's what was coming. New Testament, Acts 2.20. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. This was spoken during Peter's great sermon on Pentecost. Now, he was using the words uh, that the prophet Joel had spoken, okay? The prophet Joel. This would be an event after the tribulation, but I've got to say something. Personally, I believe the effects of that darkened sun and that redness to the moon, that blood-covered colored moon, I believe those effects stem from what happens in the tribulation, so when Christ comes back, again, again, we remember there are different views. We went over all those big words last week. There's different views of the second coming. Is it rapture, second coming? Are they together? There's many views. But what I'm getting at, <clears throat> Scripture tells us that the sun will be darkened and the moon, right, will look like the color of blood. These got to be the effects of the tribulation. So this, why I bring this up in Ezekiel And why I bring it up in Acts, these are parts of the day of the Lord. So when I talk about the day of the Lord, we have to understand uh, uh, what the results are of this return. That's the subject. That is the subject, the day of the Lord. So here we see that it is God bringing judgment on his enemies. And who are the enemies? Unbelievers, those who rejected him. Not only is he bringing judgment, he's bringing salvation to his people. That's those who follow Jesus Christ. 
But the point to this day, church family, the point to this day is that it will come like a thief, just like last week. All right, remember this. Christ's return was never in question. His return was not in question. Those who had fallen asleep, who had died, what will happen to them? That was the question. Today, the day of the Lord, is not in question. This day is coming, and my point, once again, is that it will come like a thief in the night. Let's talk about thieves for a second. Can't stand them personally. I will tell you, a thief does not want to be caught on camera. A thief, oh, you are just, you are magnificent. Thank you, sir. Apologize for that, y'all. Thank you, Kevin. A thief does not want to be caught on camera. A thief does not want to be caught by one of your pets. And a thief does not want to be caught by you. Um, I personally don't know any thieves, thank goodness, because you are the people I know. But I know for a fact that a thief wants to get in and out without being noticed. They want to get in and take what they need, take what catches their eye, and they want to get out without anybody noticing them. And the more I thought about this thievery, I thought, how cool would it be if we got a phone call, Pastor Mark, 3.38 a.m., they're coming through that back window. You know that loose window. They're coming through it. Oh, cool. I'll be ready for them. Wouldn't you love to be ready for a thief that wanted to enter your house? Wouldn't that be fun? Well, Matthew 24, 43 through 44 says this, but know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Ready for this? Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We cannot predict when the thief will come at night. We do not know when Christ will return, but we do know he is coming. And the point to this is preparation. See, Jesus, folks, is not being compared to the actions of a thief. Let me put that out there. He's not being compared to the actions of a thief, but his return, that's what is being compared to uh, that of a thief, more specifically, the timing of a thief. Because it says people have peace and security. Can I just say that you and I all experience peace and security until we don't? Do you get what I'm saying? You're driving down the road, peace and security, boom, car wreck. Heart attacks, horrible news on the phone. You guys know what I'm talking about. Turning on the TV, seeing the news. There are things that strike us quickly that disrupt our peace and security. And the thief causes this. The thief causes the pain and injury in our peace and security. I got to tell you this quick little story. I had a student... <clears throat> sweet kid, sweet, sweet kid. He and his family had gone to sleep one night in the peace and security of their own home. Windows and doors were locked, okay? It was a school night. It was a school night. And it wasn't a thief, it was a group. It was a group of thieves that entered their home. Now, here's the kicker. Everybody slept through this home invasion. Not mom and dad and siblings. Not one person woke up during this. Did they clean them out? Yes. TVs, computers, laptops, tablets, anything electronically, I was told. The gaming consoles. But what got this little kid, and he's so sweet, breaks my heart to think about it. 
What got this kid is what every night he put this wallet on his nightstand right by his bed, like we all do. Some people do that. And he didn't have a lot of money in his wallet. It's not like this big loss. But one of the thieves did come into his bedroom, opening his door, entering his room, and they took that wallet. Now, he's sleeping right next to it. You understand that, the proximity. Here's what bothered the kid. He could have cared less about what was stolen in the house. He told me this. The Xbox was taken. Could care less. He felt so violated because somebody came into his room and took that wallet so close to him, and he was completely unaware of it. In fact, they woke up the next day thinking everything was fine until they started to realize pieces were gone. Completely unaware. See, the thief here, the context of the thief, folks, for us is one of warning. It is one of warning. So peace and security like that can be disrupted. We have no control over that. So Matthew 24, 37 through 39 says this, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. There's your peace and security. They were. Until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wow. Everything was fine until Noah entered the ark. They were unaware of what was coming until it swept them away. And once again, we are shown scripturally that this is what it's going to be like at Christ's return. So this further illustrates those who are unprepared for the Lord's return. And my goodness, there's quite a few of us. There's quite a few of us. They too will suffer loss and destruction. Peace and security will be disrupted. Paul likens it to labor pains of a pregnant woman, by the way. And I kind of, I, I get this. The judgment that's coming, folks, we're talking about increasing in intensity. Um, this illustrates increasing intensity of God's judgment and the certainty, the certainty of its coming. A pregnant woman in labor will tell you, I just got through one of the pains, but I am certain another one is coming. And not only am I certain that that next labor pain is coming, it's going to be worse. It's going to intensify. Folks, that's what God's judgment is going to be like. That wrath, certain it's coming, and it will grow in its intensity. See, Christ's return will come as a surprise. I don't know if you like surprises, I think they can be fun at times, but it's going to be a surprise. But here's the thing, Christians, knowing how to live in preparation for the Lord's return is much more important than knowing the timing of his return. Noah, in his time, those people were unaware until the flood struck them. The child, the student that I taught, He he and his whole family were completely unaware until the thieves struck them. And, of course, the master of the house wants to say, just tell me when it's coming so I can be ready. Let me know when the thief is coming, and I'll stop. 
And this is what Paul is speaking to next. This is what he's talking about in preparation for this. Folks, look at verses 4 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 8. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Armor, folks, that protects vital organs. Would you agree with me there? That's where I'd want to be protected. Church family, you are children of light. This day will not surprise you, praise God. But what is a child of light? Children of light, what is that? This is followers of Jesus. This is my best definition, by the way. Followers of Jesus and the walk followers of Jesus live out as they walk according to his word and teachings. So we don't just follow Jesus. We follow him according to his word and teachings. You've met people that say, I follow Jesus, but you look at their life and you go, there's no way you're following Jesus. There's no way. No, we live out his word and teachings. He's the reason we're light. In fact, John 8, 12, John 8, 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this is who we are. Do you know the moon does not produce its own light? You guys know that, right? The moon does not have light of its own. It reflects the light from the sun. That's us. That's who we are. We reflect the light of Jesus so that others can see this light. You know what we call it? We call it gospel light. I've always liked that, gospel light. Adapt that if you don't have it yet. And the Bible says, hey, don't sleep as others do. Now, i got to point something out. Sleep here does not symbolize uh, death like it did in speaking of those who had fallen asleep, that those who had died, if you remember last week. The meaning of sleep in this context is about being unaware. The meaning of sleep in this context is about being unprepared. It's about being unafraid. And there's a lot of people out there that are unafraid. And this is where Paul is contrasting light and day with night and darkness. See, children of light belong to the day. It's in the definition, right? We belong to the day, which means we are awake. We are sober. Isn't that what happens during the day for the majority of the time? Most of us are sober and we're awake during the day. Now, if we belong to the day, that means that. But primarily, would you agree that thieves steal at night? I know what happens during the day too. But primarily, thieves steal at night. And If that's the case, those who are children of light, children of the day, well, they're not going to be surprised by the thief. Now, let me take this a step further, because the reason is they're living in what we call faith. They're living in hope. They're living in love. Living in those things is obvious. It's evidence that we have attained salvation in Christ. It's obvious and evident that we are being sanctified by walking in his light, by walking in his ways. As children of light, we will not be surprised by this day 
because we're anticipating it. (laughs) We're excited about it. Our lives are being lived out and maturing towards that day. We actually look forward to it. However, those who sleep, they sleep at night. Those who get drunk, they're drunk at night. You know, physical sleeping and drunkenness normally happen at night. Again, I understand there's times that it happens during the day. But most of the time, this happens at night. And you know what happens when you're sleeping or you are drunk, physically speaking? You are impaired. Your judgment is impaired. And that could be a problem if danger is coming. That could be a problem. So Paul's encouragement to the Christians, children of light, children of the day, is to be awake, meaning to be alert and ready. We're morally ready. We're spiritually ready. That's what he's talking about. Prepared is another word I love to use. Equipped. So, those belonging to the darkness, those that sleep, those that are drunk, this impaired judgment, right? It refers to them being unaware of God. It refers to them being unaware of the God of all creation, His work, His word, His return. They are unaware. To boil it down, you have two groups. Two groups. You have drunk and sleeping, and you have awake and sober. Now, let me ask you about these two groups. If danger is coming, who's going to be ready for that danger? It's easy. Awake and alert. That's children of light. That's you and I. Who's not going to be ready? Just least common denominator. Hey, the darkness those living in the night, because they're unaware, just like my student was unaware of any uh, thieves in his home, that his wallet would be taken, someone would invade his personal space. He was unaware. That's what sleeping and being drunk represent. That's what it is. And there's a lot of people living in that darkness. So if danger is coming, such as the thief in the night, if danger is coming, such as the flood in Noah's time, Those drunk and sleeping would be unaware of it, and those awake and alert would be ready, and we would not be afraid. That's who I want to be. I want to be ready, prepared, and unafraid of what's coming because I'm actually anticipating and excited about what God is going to do for me and for you. Now, those living in darkness, you know what the problem is? They have not yet experienced the illumination of gospel light. We have to look at them like that. The reason they still live in darkness is they have not even experienced the illumination of gospel light. So let me ask you this. Does the darkness of sin overwhelm you? You here today, are you ever overwhelmed by that kind of darkness? I love, the Word tells us this. God says your Word, or tells us that His Word, right? Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love that image. If I'm on a path not knowing where I'm going, that my path is lit and I'm following it because that light lighting my path. So I'm going to follow that light. That is his word. That is his teachings. Children of the light, children of the day, that's what they follow. That's what makes us Christians. See, the gospel of Christ illuminates the way for the Christian believer. John 1.5 says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Guys, I don't care how dark it is, the smallest amount of light will penetrate that darkness. 
I went on a youth group trip when I was young, a huge group. Most of them went and did something else. We were in Alabama, and about 10 of us went caving and mountain rappelling. When I say mountain rappelling, I mean rappelling into the caves. So we were caving in Alabama, and when we were done that day, our guide said, you guys want to go check out a mine, an abandoned mine? Being young and stupid, we said, absolutely, let's do it. So they took us to this mine, and it was late in the day anyway, so we were light, but as we went deeper and deeper into this mine, there was no natural light. We had our helmets with our headlamps. We got down pretty deep, and the guide said, here, I want to do something really cool. Everybody turn your light off. Okay, we did. I'll go ahead and tell you now, I'm not afraid of the dark, but I was afraid of the dark. That was the blackest black I've ever seen, the darkest dark. In fact, there was just, it just nothing was visible. Hand in front of your face, somebody else there. You could see nothing. And I will tell you, panic started to rise in me a little bit. I got flustered. I did. It was very unsettling to be in that kind of darkness. It enveloped me. It surrounded me. All I wanted someone to do was turn their light back on. I didn't want it to be the first one. I wanted someone else to turn their light on. And do you realize that first light, whoever it was, and I don't remember, whoever that first person was, you know we were all directed to that light. Come on. Pitch blackness, kids terrified of this kind of dark we've never experienced. You know we just, whatever, whoever turned their light on first, and I can't remember who it was, we would have looked. But see, here's the thing about being in that mine. I knew where my light was. I knew how to turn it on. I knew where to turn it on, but for me, all it was is why I wanted to turn it on. I had to see some light, and I thought about this. This is why a child of light, this is why you and I, as children of light that reflect the light of Jesus, that we are to let our light shine so that others can see the darkness that surrounds them. Some people don't even know they're surrounded or enveloped in darkness until they can contrast it with light. And you may be the only light that ever lights up this person's dark world, you. That's why it's so important to reflect the light of Jesus. In fact, Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I would have praised the person that turned on their light first, right, in that mind. Because we were all developing these degrees, increasing degree of panic. It was scary. And all we wanted was light. Folks, that's who's living in this world. They may put up a front, they may be bold in, in, in rejecting Christ. They may, but let me tell you something. They are in darkness, and they have no idea what light even looks like, and you may be that source of light. So Paul goes on to adopt the image of God's heavenly armor, uh, the breastplate and the helmet. Now, this is about spiritual battle, spiritual battle, which we all live through. Uh, you can read more about this, uh, this armor uh, both in Isaiah 59, also in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, uh, where he expands on this subject uh, even more in application. But here's what I'm getting to about the armor. Here's the broader imagery of Paul's main point, that faith, love, and hope you ready for this? They are likened to armor that protects believers and prepares and equips them. Faith, love, hope are armor that we put on 
for spiritual battle. That's what he's liking it to. And you know, he spoke of this awesome triad of armor. He spoke of this earlier in uh, the very beginning of chapter 1. Remember, he talked about and he praised them for their, their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. We have discussed this actually a couple times in this letter. Paul mentioned this uh, for a reason. He mentions it because as children of light, this is how we are to conduct ourselves. So hear me. As those living in the day, those who are awake, those who are sober, our being awake, our sobriety, it involves faith, hope, in love. It involves these. And this is what it looks like to be prepared for Christ's return. Because if you really dive into faith, the work of it, if you dive into uh, a hope, the endurance and the steadfastness of it, if you look at love, the labor of it, you're going to realize this is what we have been being sanctified in, how we have been maturing, and it's all in Christ. It's not in you. It's not in the world. Faith, hope, and love, it is in Christ. And this is where, what separates children of light from children of darkness. This is why we are not afraid of when the thief comes, and this is why they're terrified. But they're unaware of it. The darkness makes them unaware of this danger. So who's going to tell them about the danger? Well, that's the ball that lands on our side of the court, folks. Look at verses 9 through 11. Our last verse is here. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. He says it again. Encourage each other, just as you're doing. Now, I like this. Paul presents a very brief uh, a summary of the gospel. He presents the gospel, and he reminds the church that, you know what? Jesus' death was for you. It was for me. It's for us. And he further reminds them that as Christians, followers of Jesus, I always like to define that, followers of Jesus, that we're not appointed to suffer God's wrath. We're not appointed for that. That is not our destiny. The day of the Lord, folks, is going to be a great and awesome outpouring of God's wrath, but that's not for us. Paul says whether we are awake or asleep. Now, sleep, we're getting back to what he referred to last week in Paul's eschatology teaching in chapter 4, where he talks about those uh, where sleep represents those who's died. That's, we're back to that. So whether those are asleep or alive, those who are dead or awake, which represents believers, right? Whether your spirit's in heaven or whether you're presently alive, both the dead and the living in Christ are awaiting their, our, final resurrection. This is what we're anticipating. This is, the, this is what we're waiting for, our resurrection, our eternal life with Jesus. And once again, we see that neither death for a believer nor life for a believer separates believers from Christ. What can separate us? Nothing. So Paul is not coming down on the church of Thessalonica. He's not criticizing the Thessalonians. His purpose is one of encouragement, to build them up. Keep doing what you're doing, Thessalonians. 
Keep doing what you're doing it just as you're doing it, but do it more and more. Remember, we had that sermon. Don't stop. Press on. Press forward. Keep doing what you're doing. So Christians, we should be ever waiting, but ever ready. We should be ever waiting, but ever ready for the return of Christ. Willing to wait? Absolutely. Willing to wait, but prepared. Prepared. We are not the ones who will be surprised by the thief during the night. We are fully aware, and we are ready for his return. One of the things is this. We understand Christ's salvation in the present. As believers, we understand his salvation for us in the present and that we have complete confidence in the future culmination of this salvation at his return because that's what's going to happen. These are foundational truths for us, foundational. And like Paul said, we would do well to encourage one another, to build one another up in these truths. Christians, you want to know what our peace and security look like? I want to tell you just an illustration. Uh, what our peace and security, because ours is genuine. What the world has is fake. It's an illusion. They're unaware of the flood. They're unaware of the thief. Ours is grounded in Christ. Ours is genuine. Let me tell you what our peace and security looks like. There was a three-year-old boy held securely in his father's arms while his dad stood in the middle of the pool. But dad, for fun, began walking slowly towards the deep end, going deeper and deeper and deeper. He chanted this. And as the water rose higher and higher on the child, well, his face began to register increasing degrees of panic, very much like mine did in the mind that no one could see it. He held all the more tightly. He held on to his father all the more tightly as they went deeper and deeper, who, of course, he could easily touch the bottom. The father could easily touch the bottom. Now, had the little boy been able to truly analyze this situation, he would have realized that there was no reason for increased anxiety. He still could have anxiety, but there was no reason for increased anxiety. Here's why. The water's depth at any part of the pool was over his head. Even in the shallowest part, had he not been held up, he would have drowned. There was no safe place in this pool. His safety anywhere in that pool depended on the Father who held him. See, at various points in our lives, all of us feel that we're getting out of our depth. Uh, problems abound. Careers, church, family, health, loss of life. We can go on and on and on. Problems abound. And, and our temptation is to panic. Both mine and yours, our temptation is to panic for we feel that we've lost control. Yet, as with the child in the pool, the truth is we've never been in control. Whether it's the smallest or the most valuable things in life, we have not been in control. Just like we're not in control of our peace and security, ours is based in Christ. The world, those who reject Christ, their peace and security, it's not real. It's not real. So, they think they have control, but little do they know they are absolutely not in control, and they won't realize it till it's too late, till, because that's what it is to be unaware, to be unafraid, to be unprepared. 
See, we've always been held up by the grace of God, our Father. We've always been held up by Him, and it does not change. Whether you've been a Christian for 90 years or a Christian for nine days, you are being held up by the grace of God, and that does not change because God does not change. So God is never out of His depth. I mean, God created depth, so He's not out of His depth. No. Therefore, we're as safe. You and I, we're as safe in His arms, whether we're going deeper and deeper and deeper as we've ever been, as we've ever been. So this is our God, the very God that's going to return, the very God that's going to bring in these events and close out this part of history. That very God is holding you and I up in his arms like that father did with that child. We will not be surprised by his return. We're not going to be surprised by any of the things that happen because we're fully aware and we're rejoicing in it. We anticipate it, right? Because Jesus is going to be glorified in our glorification. Now, that is a loving God. He's resurrecting us and glorifying us for his glory. That is amazing. That is the love of a true, true father. Resurrection, what a day that will be. Have you ever thought about it? Whether we pass on and get to live in heaven, be reunited with our glorified body and with everybody else that's living presently, we're all going to be reunited. All of us are going to be glorified. Our eternity starts with Christ. What a day that will be. We want that day. But for those that live in darkness, those that live in the night, mm. Wow, you and I, Christians, are the only light that may ever uh, light up the darkness that envelops them. We may be that only one. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're here today, we're about to pray. If you're here today, I encourage you right now to seriously examine your heart. Because God brought you here for a reason. I believe the soil is prepared and ready. I believe your heart is ready. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, my goodness, you've heard the warning. Here it is, like a thief. That's the warning. God, would he desires for you to be his child. He desires for you to accept the offer of salvation. He wants you to be a part of this family. We want you to be a part of this family. So examine your hearts today. Because today may be the light that you have seen in the darkness. So I'm going to come down and pray. And when I'm done praying, I want to open the altar to anybody that would like to come up as the band leads us and closes us. I would like you to come up and pray at the altar. If you have a question, I'd love to, uh, for you to bring it to me if you need prayer. If you want to accept Christ as your Savior today, I am here to pray with you. If there's multiple people, I'll get elders and deacons up here. But we want to make sure that you're secure in Christ. If you want to recommit your life today, come up and pray and recommit your life. You know Christians can go complacent. You know you can become stagnant. This is a time for you to talk to your God and pray to Him. This is a time for us to come together as a church and pray together. So as I close us, if you'd like to come up, please come up. And if you want to speak with me, I'm all ears. I'm right there for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. Lord, we are grateful to you. Lord, you have rescued us. You've rescued us from death. 
You've rescued us from eternity, an eternity without you, Lord, living in darkness and living in agony. You've rescued us. You have shown us who you are. And you've shown us who you are by what you do. You are an amazing God, and we just want to praise you right now and glorify you for saving our very lives, Father. And because you did that for us, let us reflect that light. Father, let us be a light in this dark, dark world for you. Others need to see this light. Some people don't even know they're living in the darkness. Father, please let us be that light for you. Lord, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you right now, I pray, Lord, that you just break their heart down. Break them down, Father. Whether they come up here or they pray right from their seat, Lord, I pray that they accept you as their, your Lord and Savior, Father. I pray that they begin to start a relationship that leads to faith, that leads to hope, and that leads to love as you would want us to live. That's what I'm praying for right now, Lord, conviction over the hearts. Whether it's a Christian recommitting, Lord, or it's a non-believer saying, yes, I am ready. I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior. I'm praying for that right now, Lord, as we open this this, this, this uh, service up to all those that would want to come up and pray or that, that need, need prayer, Lord. I open this up, Father, and I just pray over each and every heart. Lord, we thank you for this service. We thank you for your love, and we just thank you, Father, what our salvation means. We, we anticipate your return, Father. What a day that's going to be. We're not going to be surprised. We're not scared. We're not, we're not afraid because we're equipped for this. As children of light, you've made us ready for this. Praise God for that. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.